So excited to be here this morning. We're continuing on in our series in First Peter. If you've been with us for a while, we've been going through this for the last, I don't know, month and a half or so. Uh, and uh, we're really excited about this series. Uh, it, it's been a, a little bit of a change of pace from the last couple books that we've gone through, Daniel and Revelation. Uh, and and all those, those, although those were exciting and a lot of fun to go through, they were a little bit heavy and a little bit confusing and, and a whole lot of speculation and, and, uh, it, so this has been fun. It's been a good few first weeks and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited about this morning. I'm going to pray again, uh, before we get started here today. And, and, uh, I, I want to ask you to pray with me. Father God, we do thank you for today. We thank you for an opportunity to get together as a church body and look into your word. Uh, we come before you today humbly asking uh, that you, Holy Spirit, will work in our hearts. Uh, help us to break down any walls or barriers that might be there, those of, of pride, especially uh, as we talk about submission and honoring uh, other people and authority and, and, and the, the things that Peter is really encouraging us here this morning. Help us to to break down those walls with your help so that we can hear from you this morning. Not what I have to say, but what the Holy Spirit has to say through uh, the the book of 1 Peter. We just want to come before you today. Thank you for being here and acknowledging uh, your presence. And and again, pray that you will be the teacher this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Now, I'm going to start with with just a little thought-provoking idea or... uh, you know, scenario. Uh, I was thinking back this week over some of my best bosses that I've ever had. Um, so I, I don't want to ask for hands because this is really kind of one of those things that I don't want to put anybody on the spot. But think about it. If you've had a really, really good boss before and, and maybe you've had a really bad boss. Okay. So think back kind of over the years. I see some heads nodding. So that's a good thing, right? So I was thinking back to like my favorite bosses. Some of the ones that I really enjoyed working for, some of the ones that really got me motivated to do good work, to work hard, show up on time, put in all the effort, right? I mean, and it it was easy for me to use the terms that, that Peter will be using not only last week with government, this week and next week with family, but the idea of like honoring my boss, the company by honoring my boss, doing what's asked, submitting to his authority, saying, okay, you asked me to do this. Maybe even I disagree with the way that it's going to be, but I'm willing to do it because they're a great boss. I hope some of you have that same kind of idea or have had that kind of boss or currently have that kind of boss right now. Praise God, because it makes it a lot easier to go to work, right? Uh, and, and they deserve your honor because they give you respect. They take care of you. They may ask something of you or even set a high standard and expect that, but they're going to do everything that they can to get you there. Okay. I can't be alone thinking about that sort of a boss and thinking that's the kind of boss I love to work for. And it makes it a little bit easier to go to work for them. Right. But then I also had to think about difficult bosses And again, I'm not going to ask for hands because some of you might be sitting under one right now in in the sense of having a difficult boss, or uh, maybe you know about this difficult boss, but your spouse doesn't, and you don't want to have that conversation quite yet, uh, and it's something that the Lord is working on in your heart. But I've had difficult bosses too, ones that are hard to respect, 
They tell you what they want from you, but then the way that they act is completely different. And if you ever have a conversation with them or have, you feel like you've earned the right to have a conversation, to maybe even talk to them about one of their behaviors, it doesn't really go anywhere because they kind of go like, well, I'm the boss, so deal with it or whatever. So, I mean, those difficult bosses where we want to do our best for the company, but it's really hard to honor this boss because they're so undeserving of that, the way that they treat you or they tr- the way that they treat other people. Sometimes it's not even you, but you see what they're doing to other people. And, and today there's going to be some application from what we're looking at, uh, it, kind of the way that we can take this and apply it to our lives in regards to our bosses, the authorities that are kind of over us on a day-to-day basis. But we're going to get to that in just a minute. This week, as Brian, uh, who you guys met a couple weeks ago, if you were here when I was on vacation, uh, Pastor Brian Bruyer from down in the Lacey campus, he and I were studying together this week as we prepped this sermon. And, and as we were looking at this sermon, we realized this text, it, it, it's kind of difficult. There's some hard words in it. There's some hard things to understand. There's some hard things to apply to us because maybe it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you're stuck in one rut of thinking about it. So, I mean, it's kind of difficult. It can be a little bit intimidating uh, when you're looking at some of these big concepts. And and Peter's words are are hard to read sometimes. They're like, okay, I see what he's calling me to. The idea of honoring somebody that maybe doesn't deserve honor, that's difficult for us as human beings. At least it is for me. Uh, and so to, to realize that God's called us to honor authority, no matter what they look like, has been uh, something of a challenge this week. Again, last week we talked about government, right? And, and I know we have a diverse crowd, which is awesome. That's what I love about you guys. If you have a tough time submitting to the authority or honoring with your thoughts or your words, this president, right? then the, the person that might be sitting next to you might have had that same problem with the president before, right? You see what I'm saying? Like, it's tough to always be in a place where you can naturally, in your flesh, want to honor the person that's in charge because you might disagree with them. So we looked at government last week. Today, we're going to look at more of the same. But in these terms here, we're going to see kind of this idea of an unjust or a harsh supervisor uh, and, and, and how we can relate to them at what God has called us to be to that unjust or harsh supervisor. And then next week we're going to be looking familial. We're going to be looking at spouses. So I want you to be here next week. I don't want you to, to take the week off because we all need to hear this and then be encouraged, right? So come back next week, especially if you're here for government this week, you need to be here next week too. The other thing I want to acknowledge is, is, is pastor Brian and I, as we were talking this week, we realized there's a lot of off ramps that we could take this morning. There's a lot of rabbit trails, what I like to call them, right? And, and we're going to have to focus in on our time, and I want to respect your guys' time, right? And, and so we're going to have to focus in. Now, so there may be some questions you have about this passage or thoughts you have on it. I want to acknowledge that, and I want to encourage you to reach out to us, whether it's Pastor Dave or myself, uh, or maybe it's in a community group. We have a few community groups up and running in the process of getting more of those going. That's a place to flesh this out, ask the hard questions. Um, but let's try to focus on the main idea today. And, and, and Peter's going to bring some of those explanations, the motivations and stuff. And, and if you leave here with more questions, maybe than answers, I want to encourage you that that's okay. 
right? I want to encourage you to like, okay, this is something that God is, is kind of pricking my heart on. And now I can do a little more research, a little more study on it. Uh, because a lot of times we come in on church, we don't know what we're expecting. We hear the, the preacher, uh, you know, speak and then we leave and we kind of feel like we're all alone. And I want to encourage you, you're not. You got your Bible, we got resources for you, community groups, engagement with other friends or with the pastors. We want to encourage you in that place because today we're going to be looking at the idea of a gracious thing. What does Peter mean by that? And I think this week he's going to be talking to us about honoring dishonorable supervisors. Okay, we always can look at one uh, specific encouragement from the positive and from the negative. So we want to look at that today. Uh, and again, that, that'll be the truth. But the idea of honoring a dishonorable supervisor, somebody that doesn't necessarily deserve uh, your honor is something we're going to see today. We're going to be picking back up again in First Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 18. We'll have the words up here on the screen, but I want you, if you have your Bible with you, open up to that so you might be able to highlight some things, take some notes. Uh, and we're going to go through this um, just humbly asking Holy Spirit to teach us this morning. Starting in verse 18. But servant, or servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. We use the English Standard Version here. There are a lot of great versions of the Bible. We've chosen as a pastoral staff, as an overseer board, uh, that this is the version we're going to use. But a lot of you may have different versions even in your hand today. And that's okay. There are a lot of great versions out there. The word that Peter uses here In the English Standard Version, this term, servant, it it refers to a household slave. Some of your your copies right there in your hand might say household slaves. Some say household servants, some say servants. Um, And and, and so we want to acknowledge that even in the terminology, there's going to be some differences, right? Uh, So when we think of slaves, household slaves or servants, uh, we are reminded of a few different passages throughout scripture that talk about slaves, slavery, and and what God's thoughts are on slavery. Uh, And and so as we were looking at this this week and praying over this and studying um, and and through some encouragements from a friend of mine on last Sunday, uh, we we, kind of dove into the Deuteronomy 15 passage. So you don't necessarily need to open up to that right now, but if you have, if you're taking notes, write down Deuteronomy 15, really like 12 to 15, 12 to 18, right in there. Um, and, and that kind of process or that thought, that philosophy of slavery or of household slaves, household servants, uh, is probably what's being described here. Again, we're not 100% sure, but that's what we would think. Um, and, and so to get that kind of like to place that out there, and we'll, we'll refer back to that in a few minutes. We also do want to acknowledge though, that slavery, uh, in our country and around the world is still real today. And it, and it is something that, uh, God abhors, he detests, he hates, and that is consistent throughout scripture. So we have to keep that in mind when we read any of the words that Peter is going to write today, acknowledging that Holy Spirit's inspiring him to write, okay? And we have to do that. So what's being written is in light of God saying, slavery is not a good thing. As we were looking at statistics this week, anywhere from right now, currently today, there are 21 to 45 million people trapped in slavery, 
We Googled a bunch of different things that took us, us on rabbit trails throughout the week. And, and, and we were trying to collect the best data that we could to have to be able to present this morning. Um, but modern day slavery, uh, you have human trafficking. You have sex trafficking where you, people are being sold either for labor or for sex. Uh, and, and again, this is a kind of slavery. There's domestic servanthood. They try to call it something that's a little more palatable. But around the world, that takes place. There are forced labor camps. There are forced labor areas in this world. Uh, bonded labor. There's forced marriage still going on in some parts of this world. There are people being sold to work that don't want to be there. And we need to acknowledge as a people that slavery still exists and it breaks God's heart. And, and as a church, we're going to stand behind God's word on everything that he says. And, and, and slavery, no matter how people might try to justify it, breaks God's heart. And it's not his plan for you or for I. And, and Peter, as he's writing here, he is well aware of slavery also. Peter is well aware of the children of Israel and their time in Egypt. Okay? You guys remember that from our study of Genesis and Exodus. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And that was the the back-breaking work of building bricks to build their buildings and and everything else that was going on in Egypt. The, The children of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians. And Peter knew about that. So he knows about slavery. And he knows how bad it is. Peter is not endorsing slavery. He's speaking to a group of people who experience, in one manner or another, slavery. So he is writing to the existing societal norms, unfortunately, in the Roman Empire. At this time, extra-biblical sources, so that means sources outside the Bible, speculate that a third of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves. Most of them were ones that they had conquered, right? But they were even selling themselves to each other. It it was a huge part of the population um, were were sold or, or in slavery in some ways. And so Peter's not endorsing it. He's speaking to a group that's already there, honoring God in the place that you are in. Slaves were becoming believers. These household slaves, which again we'll talk about in a little bit, uh, they were becoming Christians because their masters were becoming Christians. And so Peter is speaking to something that's going on. He is not acknowledging it and saying this is good or this is acceptable. He's saying this is what is going on there. And so again, like the logical reasoning I just talked about, the whole of scripture speaks against the practice of owning, abusing, and repressing people. And I've never seen anybody argue differently from that uh, if, if they know the scriptures. We see that there. The, and we also know that the scriptures do not contradict themselves. So when we have a passage that looks like it's saying one thing, we need to take it in light of the entire chapter, in light of the entire book, and then in light of scripture as a whole. That's why we don't just pick and choose verses to preach on. We preach through an entire book, right? We want to know what this author What's talking about. So the conclusion, if you take those two facts, uh, the conclusion we came to this week, 
Brian and I, was that Peter can't be endorsing slavery. In fact, by naming them in this letter, he is actually elevating them and saying, you are valuable and you have value and you can be a Christian. And because you are, you need to honor your masters. And we'll get to that, like I said, in, in, in a little bit. So we're going to try to avoid some of those rabbit trails. We've talked about a few of them. We're going to be looking at honoring God by honoring all. And that's what we talked about last week. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. It's kind of a three-part series. Government, slavery, masters, slash bosses, what it might look for us today. And then next week, our spouses. But again, those of you who don't have a spouse, maybe you're single now. Maybe you, you aren't uh, at the age of getting married. You still need to be here because there's going to be application for you. So a household servant. A household servant, when we look at Deuteronomy 15 and we know kind of what was going on, again, this wasn't God's uh, best idea, but it was what he allowed the children of Israel to do. Which again, that's a tough thing to think about too. That sometimes the children of Israel who walked with God, who visibly saw the fire and the smoke pillar lead them out of Egypt, immediately rebelled and wanted something different. Right? That just shows you what humanity is at its core. We're never satisfied. We have a tough time believing God and that his plan is for the best. So there were things that existed that were not God's plan or best or his idea. Right? And that cost them. That cost them blessing. Right? It costs them blessing and different things. So here we have this idea of a household slave. Now, in Deuteronomy 15, we see that these slaves were slaves for six years and then they were to be released. Okay, so a little bit different than other forms of slavery. These slaves were slaved for six years, then they were to be released. A lot of times, a lot of times, these slaves became part of the family. They were viewed as part of the family. Oftentimes, a family would fall on hard time and volunteer themselves into this form of slavery because they knew this family This other family could take care of them. They were concerned about their wife. They were concerned about their children. Often these people ended up being educated. Their children were educated with the children of the household. It was a pathway to freedom. Because if you had a good master, if you had a good person taking care of you, you were able to develop yourself into an educated person potentially even financially, so that you are ready to move out on your own in that year of Jubilee at the seventh year. Again, we talked about the third of the population already being in that. Uh, And even when we look at this, Brian and I sat at the table and we said, we don't want our people to think, oh, this is maybe a good thing. These masters are helping out these people or whatever. We don't want to soft sell what it is. Because some of the situations still included harsh treatment or corruption uh, or holding down these people who needed this this, uh, either for their family or were taken into this. And and yet it's not good. God would never say it's good. Uh, It was just the reality of that time. And so Peter uses this extreme scenario to include the slaves, the household servants. And that's our best understanding. So that's what we're going to move forward today in, in all humility. We do know that the word servant in and of itself is used over a thousand times in scripture. Um, with that kind of usage, we know it's a big deal to God. Okay. God walked with the men, some of the men in the old Testament. We know that from reading here, he communicated with them and he called them his servants, 
right? God refers to Abraham as his servant, to Moses, to David, to Job. These are servants. Peter, Jude, James, and Paul, they all start their letters by trying to use humility and say that I am a servant of God, right? They know their place. This idea of servitude is one that they, they, they held on to tightly. Why? Because they had just seen Jesus, the son of God, the perfect example, come to serve and to be a servant of all. That was the example that they had. So we see some biblical ideas on servanthood and, and that idea of service, it's near and dear to God's heart. That being said here, Peter is referring to these household slaves, these household servants. Uh, so we, we've gone through a lot. We're kind of, we, we've got a lot of the history of this and we want to make sure that, that those things were laid before we head into the next section. Another thing that's noteworthy here is Peter's elevation of this group. He could have ignored these people, but he saw them. He knew of them. He heard stories. He had met them and that they were coming to know the Lord, that they were becoming Christians. And so he acknowledges in this letter the value of the servant or the slave by talking about them. Now we know in Christ there's no longer slaves nor free. We see that Paul writes that in Galatians 3.28. He says there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor neither slave nor free. There is no male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Again, Paul isn't saying there's no difference between people. He knows that there is, but what he is saying is your value in God's eyes is no different. And Peter would know that and Peter would agree with that. He's making a case here that if you're looking to do good, to follow God and be submissive, respectful, honoring, you're going to need to do this in all the areas of your life, government, boss, spouse, etc., etc. We are being called to do this. This is, this, this is, is, is what we have been called to do when we are called to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We are to be a servant. Now we are supposed to fear God. And because of that fear of God, which is a healthy respect for, we need to do what he has commanded us and called us to do, which is to honor him. We need to honor our government, our supervisors, and our spouse. The verse continues on here and says, be subject to your masters with all respect. Now, here we see the idea of being subject to or submissive to or uh, subordinate to. There's definitely a place here. In other words, as an employee, I need to know my place in my organization. I need to know my responsibility in whatever organization I'm working in, right? I need to know that I need to respect my employer, my supervisor, my manager, whoever might be in front of me. And with all respect that's there, it can be translated with all fear. Uh, it's the same idea. It's the same concept. And earlier in First uh, Peter 1, verse 17, uh, Peter tells us to only fear God. And so what he's doing is he's building on the idea and the concept that this is what God wants for us. And so in our proper fear of God, we need to honor and respect our bosses. So the fear that we give, the respect that we show towards our bosses or the masters is because of a healthy or proper relationship 
with God the Father and understanding of what he has called us to do. God wants us to be submissive to our bosses. We do that, like the good deeds, the good works, when we understand and respect that it's God calling us to do that. So even if our boss is difficult, this is what he desires from us. And we remember last week when it said, uh, the, 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 the end of that passage when we were talking about the government, that even those who dislike you will see your good works and they will glorify the Lord on the day of Christ. How much more so if you are working with your boss 30 or 40 or 50 hours a week, if in this case you're a household slave and you're living with your boss, if you are living to honor and glorify God, it is a great witness to the gospel, which we'll get at here in these last couple of verses that we're going to look at. Peter knows that not all bosses are good. Not all slave owners were good. Not all masters were good. Not all supervisors were good. We can go on and on, put every word in there, but he says the good and gentle. Now, in our examples that we started with earlier, we talked about the good boss, and it's easy to submit to those, but Peter doesn't stop there. He says, but also to the unjust. Peter, again, acknowledging that some bosses are going to treat you unkindly, and it's harder for you to submit to them, to give them the respect that God desires for you to give to them. So as we consider Peter's words here, we need to remember that we've been called to live by a new standard. But like we talked about last week in regards to the government, if we are asked to do or told to do anything that is sinful or contrary to God, that we may need to stand up and say no. If at your boss you are being abused, even physically, Verbally, emotionally also, but you may need to stand up and say, no, this isn't right. There are proper channels that we can use to stop forms of abuse. But if you and your boss just don't get along and God hasn't called you to leave that job, you need to bear up under that. That's the word Peter uses. And you need to be a good witness to your boss, to your coworkers by working hard as unto the Lord. So Peter's not saying you have to take any sort of that abuse, but he is saying you're not always going to have the greatest work environment. And there may be consequences if you do stand up to your boss. We know that. We talked about it last week. You may lose your job if you were to say, uh, I just, I can't be in a place like this. But either way, we are called to submit. We see that here. And we are called to submit out of respect. Now, a lot of the, the setup came out of that first verse. As we go into these next couple, uh, they'll be a little bit quicker. We see here picking up in verse 19, Peter starts with the word for. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter's going to talk about this uh, gracious thing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And he gives two examples. He gives an example of when you do something wrong, when you sin and you are corrected, or the word he uses here is beaten for that, you deserved it. In other words, if you don't do your job and you get in trouble for it, 
you deserve that. But he also says, you might get, uh, uh, have suffering in your place of work or these household slaves that is unjust. In other words, you're working hard as unto the Lord. And you just got a jerk for a master or a jerk for a boss. And yet we've been called to do these gracious things in the sight of God. And so let's, let's look at that and that concept real quick here. A gracious thing is doing good. Peter's description of that, we see that throughout the, no matter what the circumstance is, because it's the will of God. So this gracious thing that Peter is talking about is something that you do because of your relationship with God, not because of your relationship with your boss. It doesn't matter if your boss is hard or gives preference to her or his favorites. We are called to respect, to work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Right, we see that there in Colossians, and we're going to see more of this in the in the next verses. Uh, but we are to be a people that hold God's will above my personal comfort. Do you hold God's will, not even just in the area of this, but in other areas, above your personal comfort? Or are you, like so many, so worried about living a life that's comfortable, you'll do whatever it takes, no matter if it is God's will or not, you might not even think about it because you're so busy trying to take care of yourself. And here Peter asks the question, what credit is it? He's saying it's a gracious thing when you're mindful of God, right? One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And then he goes into this question. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it? You endure. But if you, when you are doing good and suffer for it, you endure. He, he wants us to consider that if we as servants, right, we need to respond differently between suffering, if we are doing something wrong, if we are corrected because we've done something wrong, we don't get to say, hey, look over here, I'm a Christian. I know I'm late to work every single day, but my boss is trying to demote me or, or terminate me. He doesn't like me because I'm a Christian. And I have to say, no, 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 he doesn't like you because you don't show up for work, right? Get to work on time. Right, if you, if you're constantly standing in, in the back of the store talking to your coworkers, and maybe you're even sharing your faith, and, and, and you, your boss gets upset with you, you can't say, well wait a second, I'm sharing my faith, I'm being persecuted at work. My boss is coming down hard on me. No, you're not getting paid to share your faith. Right? You're getting paid to work. And so let your work be a witness is what Peter is saying. If you're sinning, if you're doing wrong and you get in trouble, that is justified, right? And so what he's saying is what good is it if you suffer because you're doing things wrong? None at all. But if you can work good, if you're a hard worker and persecution or unjust, uh, uh, an unjust boss continues to say things or do things to you, and you're able to bear up under that, that's when you can have a testimony to the Lord. There will be times that you will suffer when you're doing good, right? When we work wholeheartedly is unto the Lord. This is when we're called to suffer well. 
You can be unfairly picked on and still bear up under it, keeping your witness intact. You can expect logical consequences for doing wrong or not performing, right? I think we see that there. And, and, and yet we have to know that when we do good things, the gracious thing, the commendable work in the sight of the Lord, when we are being, uh, by an unjust boss, when we are in trouble or we are getting the heavy weight of them, then that is again where we're able to stand up and keep our testimony intact and it is commendable. The suffering here is not what's being commended, right? But it's for being so committed to God's will, to the, to the good work or to the gracious thing, that the devotion to him overrides my own personal comfort. Remember just a couple minutes ago, we talked about the idea of personal comfort and I'll do anything to keep me comfortable, keep my family safe, and, and that's my number one top priority. Whereas God would say here, right, you need to follow my will over your personal comfort. Personal comfort, it's paramount, of, it's important in our lives. And as Pastor Brian and I talked about this week, we, we thought, man, alive, a lot of times I put what's best for me or what's best I think for my family over maybe doing God's will. That was something that we had to talk about this week. We had to realize, we had to kind of pull back in and come to grips with. And ask ourselves, where are we doing wrong in regards to that? We see the idea of endurance here. Uh, Peter brings it up three different times in this section. Uh, We were talking this week, uh, Pastor Brian had run a marathon. I think maybe he showed a picture of it uh, when he was was here. Or maybe that was when he was preaching down there. He told me about it though. But he he had to kind of, he had to figure out how do I do an event like this where there's endurance involved, right? There are things I had to build up to learn how to do, right? And as he's telling me about that this week, I couldn't, I couldn't even, you know, comprehend it or understand it, right? That's not something I've done before. But he's telling me I had to learn to run five miles first. Then it was 10 miles. Then it was about 15. And once I got through 15, people told me, you'll be able to do it, right? You're going to run a couple times over 20 just to show it. And then on that day, Because of the excitement, you'll be able to finish the marathon. And sure enough, he was able to do that. But that endurance that he built up under it, Peter is saying that. He says it three times here. We need to endure through that. And again, that what's good in the sight of God, devotion to him, his will in our lives. And this often plays out in our lives. We actually have to choose God's will over our own comfort or our own preference. And so those are things maybe in your community group this week you can talk about. Some of the things where you're tempted to, or even you've struggled in the past, choosing your best over maybe what God has called you to do. Is God the ultimate authority in our life? And if he is, there are going to be some times that it might be uncomfortable to follow Christ. Are you and I willing to be that kind of person who knows that, acknowledges it, and moves forward in it? Let's continue on here in verse 21. It says, for to this you have been called. Again, that idea of being called we saw last week uh, or two weeks ago, but we see it again here. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. 
But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. We have been called to what? To endure unjust suffering. This is our call. Right? If you've accepted the free gift of salvation found only in Jesus Christ, you've also accepted the very real possibility of suffering. This isn't the only place in the Bible that talks about suffering. There are a lot of places. If you are going to follow Jesus Christ, more likely than not, you are going to suffer for it. So it's not a maybe, it's a when it will happen. We are called, God's called us to be a part of the family, be in this group of faith-filled believers called to suffer to inherit their final reward. Do we view our suffering that we're going through in this life as what we have been called to do as believers, knowing what Christ is preparing for us for all eternity? We are called to suffer and we've been given an example, Jesus Christ. We see that God has given us his perfect son as the perfect example to show us how to suffer. Now we just have to follow in his footsteps. We were talking this week, when your child uh, is learning to do, when your child is learning to do the alphabet, you have them trace, right? You have them follow the line, trace over the A, trace over the A, lowercase, the B, lowercase B. And they're tracing and they're doing a lot of tracing and, and they keep tracing. And pretty soon you ask them to write the letter and they're able to write it, right? Because they followed those lines. It's been embedded into their minds and they're ready to move forward. And for us, we have the example of Jesus Christ. We see his footsteps. They're written throughout this book. And we need to study this and read this and talk about this and see those footprints and and know what he has called us to do and how we should follow them so that when we need to, our natural tendency, like that child, to draw the letter will be to follow in his footsteps. And the example we are given in Jesus was one who was grossly abused, beaten, tortured, ridiculed. And that is one we need to be prepared to follow. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And this lasted his whole life all the way to the cross. He gave us perfect example while he was living of how to be a servant, how to put other people ahead of himself. And then he took that to the extreme when he went to the cross. And ultimately, he trusted God the Father to judge justly. He could bear up under the knowledge that God is the one who will ultimately judge justly. He could rest in that. And we need to too. We need to be uh, ready to suffer. We need to be ready to endure because of our allegiance To our true master, God the Father. Suffering is producing something in you and I. I know you've heard that before. And if you're in the midst of suffering, it's not an easy word to hear. But God is doing something in you. Holy Spirit is growing you into the person that he desires you to be. And through this suffering, you are growing. It goes against who we're wired to be. 
right? We want to get out of suffering as quick as we can. And yet God says, wait. He says, suffer. He says, follow me, right? I've given you the, the example. I've given you the footsteps. That part continues on here in these last couple of verses. In verse 24, we see he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We get to see the gospel here. Peter fleshes this out, this idea of being a good servant Uh, of trusting God, his plan, and ultimately his justice. And and we see this now go all the way through in Jesus' life through the cross, the gospel, right? We see suffering. We see God's plan. Jesus' response to the cross, the potential of the cross, was obedience, right? And and, and this is, is, is a demonstration of bearing up to the unjust treatment. The example of honorable conduct among the Gentiles, uh, a way to react and respond to the abuse that we may encounter, was expressed and shown to us by our perfect example, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Our new God-honoring life, the one that we should be walking into, needs to be a life that is dying to our old self, to our old sin, leave it behind and strive towards righteous living, leaving behind our fleshly response for a holy one. So instead of reacting and responding and retaliating, sometimes we are called to bear up under and endure. Even Jesus in the garden, he said, if you are willing, God the Father, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Again, entrusting to God the final judgment. God the Father. That was Luke 22. Your will, Father, not mine. That's the example that you and I need to to hear. Here we see Peter talking about Isaiah 53. Again, if you're taking notes, write that down. A lot of these words, these little phrases are found in Isaiah 53. The suffering servant. This is a a prophecy of what Jesus was going to go through. He knew he was going to suffer, and yet he came to this earth to live the perfect life and to die for you and I. Jesus is the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. We see that at the end of this verse. Jesus died for our sins so that we would die to our sins. Jesus died for our sins so that you and I would die to our sins. Because truly by his wounds, you and I have been healed and we will find our healing in that. Peter has called us to do a gracious thing, honorable uh, living to those who don't deserve it. Honoring dishonorable supervisors. The end game is that not that they will begin to like us, hopefully they might or they would, but that God would be glorified. Honor and glory to God the Father. Choosing Christ-like responses to harsh treatment. That's a God-honoring thing. Living a life with God-honoring motivation 
that's a God-honoring thing. We have called to be a witness to God's goodness, to his greatness. And when we are, especially when we're being treated unfairly, when we bear up under that and we continue on, we bring honor and glory to his great name.